0: This is a Federal News Network podcast. The State Department workforce has grown more diverse in the past 20 years, but not so much at
1: the higher ranks. The Government Accountability Office made that finding earlier this year and in similar reports going back decades. Members of the House Foreign Affairs Committee recently heard from former senior agency officials about their recommendations to improve the workforce diversity at state.
0: For more on how the Foreign Service vets applicants and efforts to reform that process, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the former U.S. Ambassador to Malta, Gina abercrombie winstanley stanley The assessment team is made up of four assessors, and we are watching and assessing people who are coming into, who want to come into the Foreign Service, with a series of practical Examinations for under situations that they might come across as a diplomat. So, we're judging them on their background, on their knowledge of the United States, and how they would represent the United States. Recognizing that Americans come with different backgrounds, with different perspectives, all of them valid as American, there are judgments to be made. And the broader the array of those who are doing the assessing, the better. We can understand, yes, this is a valid way of dealing with this situation. Yes, this experience that I'm hearing about makes sense. It is something I understand and will do well to represent the United States abroad. If you have a very narrow set of backgrounds, or if you have someone with a bias, whether unconscious or conscience, if You don't have enough diversity of those who are doing the assessing, then you're going to get a fairly narrow set of people making it through the process. And that's why ensuring that the assessors are diverse is the first step in ensuring that the service itself is diverse. And when I was an assessor, there were about 30 of us. And at the time, there were only two full time African American assessors. So there would certainly be times when. You would have a group of assessors who were all majority Americans. That might indeed have an impact on how minority or
1: underrepresented groups are judged as they come through the process. Drilling down a little bit further into some of the other recommendations for a more diverse State Department workforce that you had for the subcommittee, I think they generally fall into two buckets, one being structural and the other being more focused on a a workforce culture. Focusing more on the former first, help me better understand the value proposition of elevating the reporting structure for the agency's chief diversity officer.
0: For any organization, when something is valued, valuable, integral, foundational to the mission of the organization. It's put front and center. People are accountable for achieving it. They're held to account if they don't. So a chief diversity officer would be that center point, that belly button for this issue in the department. Currently, the responsibility for improving the performance of the department with regard to increasing the range of diversity in the department and gender parity, as well as inclusion. And diversity and inclusion have two separate definitions. Gender parity and diversity are two separate things. So if you have people in the individual bureaus who are told generally, ah, you need to increase your numbers, I'm in the director general's office, maybe the deputy secretary's office because he or she has a liaison with the various affinity groups within the bureau, it might be in a particular office, it might be in the deputy secretary's purview, it might be the director of the office or the deputy director of the office, the post-management office, you know, the management. So there are all these different spots that have a touch or finger on the issue, but no one has responsibility for that bottom line. So if, for instance, as an ambassador, I wanted to Initially, hire a management officer. I was a political officer through my career, know how to do the outside contact work, know how to do people those are my strengths. But on the technical issues about bringing necessarily the monetary resources or other resources to bear, I wanted somebody who had that expertise as my deputy. I found a management officer who brought all of that, and he was an African-American male. So, as ambassador, I said, This is who I want. You know, we're given a list of people to choose among. In the end, the Bureau said, No, we have a candidate that we believe we want to take care of. We want to promote him. He did this job over here. And although he's not your first choice, we, the Bureau, are responsible for this. We have the authority to do the hiring. And they gave me a white male as my deputy. So even though it was something I was thinking about, I knew would add value and wanted to support an underrepresented member of the Foreign Service, it wasn't indeed my choice. So sometimes the Bureau is responsible, sometimes the embassy gets to weigh in. And it depends on very individual circumstances as who has the greater power in that situation. So we need someone who's going to go back to the bureau or back to the embassy and say, we're looking at your embassy. We see you have no Hispanics, two women and no blacks. Why is that? Can you do a better job of looking at these candidates and bringing them forward? If you turn these candidates down, why did you turn them down? And holding people to account. Right now, there's no one to do that.
1: Something else that has come up in all of this as far as recommendations is the idea of, of a more formal exit interview process. And that is, I think, based on the understanding that mid-career folks who come from a variety of racial and ethnic backgrounds are leaving the State Department mid-career mm-hmm. and not staying to make it into the higher ranks of the State Department, as GAO has pointed out. What do you see as the value proposition of formalizing that exit interview process and what could be gained from doing that?
0: I think any organization, when you are investing money in your talent, to take on a diplomat, a foreign service officer, or a civil servant costs money. It costs you money for all the security clearance and suitability clearance and the examination that you've given them to bring them on board, the training that they get throughout their career, cost money, sending them abroad, paying for their travel, their housing, education of their children. We're talking hundreds of thousands and over years, millions of dollars per employee. These are valuable assets and you don't want to lose them. So that exit interview, if you find that you are losing in a proportion of people that you know is higher than you should be losing if you are doing things correctly, you need to know what the problems are. And that is the point of the exit interview. An exit interview with some questions, I understand there may be three questions now on an exit interview that the State Department has put together at this point. It's not enough. It needs to be more detailed questions. And you have to Make it clear that the department values and is going to use the information provided. Hopefully, when people are leaving, they have enough respect for if they came into the organization in the first place for the organization to want it to do better. When I left the Department of State, I wish somebody had asked me why I was leaving. Nobody asked me why I left. And why I was leaving were things that should not have been happening. They have put millions of dollars in me and, and I left. So that should be corrected and the organization should want to correct that. So getting that information and using that information to improve the processes of how talent is managed. Gina Abercrombie-Wynn Stanley, former ambassador to Malta, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Check out
1: liveone.com slash bestmusic for details. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Grifols Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on, and you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at GriffalsPlasma.com.